Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, man, Chris, it's been a minute. Dude, how, how are you feeling? You had I'm, the bug. I'm feeling okay. I'm the good. A little, a little groggy, tired, uh, but I'm back. Feeling all right. I am glad. I'm really glad. I, I was like, oh, man, you know, like it just it hits you that hard that like, you yeah. know, you are out for a bit. I, 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 I'm I, glad that we have rehabilitated Chris. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, definitely back. <laughs> so we are going to be doing uh, part two of the position player uh, yep. list. We're trying to get it all out to you in a couple of parts we want to make it so instead of you know going position by position and doing like recordings through the course of the entire offseason that will just give you all of it part 1 part 2 part 3 um and then we can get into a lot of these other uh subjects that we want to be recording on like we are now putting out some content evaluating the Marvel universe mm-hmm. so if you'd like to go check that out uh there will be a link and uh it's 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 premium uh, content with regards to the current state of the Marvel universe as how it's developed. We go phase by phase talking about uh, is this believable believability scale, if you will. So definitely check that out if you're interested in that type of content. Um, but, you know, we, we, we really should jump into this list. We, you know, we should really dive in, but I do got to say this. I do got to say this. Last night's USA WBC game might have been the best game that I've ever seen played in my entire life. It was, That's a lot coming from you. It's a it was, lot. It was, yeah, it was incredible. It almost deserves its own recording because it had everything. It had offense. It had the score that went back and forth. It had superstars in the game. It had multiple innings of more than two runs being scored. In fact, it happened in the first for both teams. It happened mid-game, and it also happened late in the game. So they were scoring the whole entire game. And everyone in Team USA's all-star lineup, you know, the lineup that's actually really trying here versus, you know, in an all-star game. In, in an all-star game, you know, it's one game. You know, you're swapping guys in the whole lineup, you know, so that, you know, every team gets their opportunity. No, these guys are competing. It was the whole lineup hit. Every single person in the lineup hit. And you don't see that. You don't see a competitive game where we're full of all-stars, where they play the whole entire game trying, where everyone hits. And there's at least five Hall of Famers there. So probably the best game I've ever seen. Probably the best game I've ever seen. So if you like baseball, definitely go check out the highlights to that. And I'm sure we're going to do a recording about that sometime in the future. Um, Because my goodness. But without further ado, we got to jump in on this shortstop list because it is a doozy. It is it's a deep position, Chris. I I am I am anticipating that it is a very long position. Yes, it's it's it's. We have to first go over the ones that everybody knows, the guys that everybody knows. So first, we got Swanson, Dansby Swanson, just signed with the Cubs defensively he was gold glove level last year 
He has always been a plus-plus base runner. He's always been an aggressive hitter who, despite being aggressive, hit for power. He, he's, he's always performed more than his physical body says that he should. He's not insanely built, um, but he's a Vanderbilt project. So in his case, I think the baseball IQ has allowed everything to play up, and now he has that contract. He's wanted to be with the Cubs uh, since apparently he was a kid. So he looks like he's going to be, you know, the centerpiece on that next great Cubs team, the, the first of the big additions, um, you know, at least as far as big money additions go. So Swanson, everybody knows Swanson. Then we have Correa, who at any point in time, Correa, is his leg could collapse and his entire career could be done. However, Carlos Correa is also one of, the best talents in the entire major leagues when healthy. So he has to show up. I don't like him, you know, well, he's a cheater, but he has to of show course, up. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm reminded of you every day. Cause whenever I hear people talk about baseball in the street, someone always brings up the Astros and someone's always got to start yelling those cheaters, those cheaters. And I'm like, I can't escape it. I'm on the podcast. He's like, they're cheaters. I'm going to get a sandwich. People talking about baseball, screaming, <laughs> they're cheaters. I'm like, I'm never going to escape this. No, it's it, seriously, it, it's a it's a really big deal. Because unlike steroids, where it was just like it tainted a singular player, this is, it's a team game. This is a team game. So, you know, when you're having players who have done everything that they can just to show up in the World Series, and they get there, right? And they're legitimately good. And you cheat them out of it. I mean, you're robbing the fans. You're robbing a whole bunch of people's careers. You know, you're robbing a whole bunch of people's, like, pay increases. Do you know how much more money you get if you're part of a World Series winning team? Some of those guys that were on those teams that they were competing against never played again. Or never played the World Series, certainly. So, um, yeah, they're going to be – they're going to be mentioned for a very long time. Uh, Javi Baez – he of the National League played his first year in the American League last year. Now, this is the thing with regards to Javi Baez. He is one of the most aggressive hitters in all of Major League Baseball. He swings all the time. He strikes out a ton. However, he does this to get to power that for other hitters, they would not be able to get to on the pitches that he can hit. So he's a very unique player and a very tough out, assuming he knows you as a pitcher and assuming he has any sort of lineup protections of which he had neither last year. There was no lineup protection for him at all. It wasn't in a league that he knew, you know, as somebody who swings all the time, that is going to hurt you at the end of the year, towards the end last month or so he ended up being his old self. So I do believe it was an adjustment thing and it would make sense given his profile. Um, you know, aggressive hitters, you know, if you give them anything to hit because of how much they're going to swing, they're going to hit it more. That's why they take the most advantage of lineup protection. Baez, given that he was rebounding already late in the season, the fact that he's a plus-plus base runner and one of the best defenders at shortstop in the game, has to show up. If his career is done, his career is done, but I don't see it. Then we got Bobby Witt Jr., who had a lot of issues versus the fastball last year. Everybody knows him because, you know, he's the stud of the Royals, I believe. Did he win Rookie of the Year? I think he might have won Rookie of the Year. Really? Uh, 
Yeah, and I've been the thing is I've been a big Bobby Witt guy since the draft. You know, he was he was a high schooler back then. Um, and seeing him develop into what he is now, I thought he would be good, but I don't think he'd be able to stay at shortstop and be a tremendous base runner in addition to having the type of offensive capabilities that he has. You know, he's basically Trey Turner light, which is insanely impressive. Um, however, he had issues with the fastball last year. And that means there's going to be some serious growth this year. And the other worrying thing was it wasn't just that he had issues with the fastball. He also had issues with the slider. Um, so a, 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 a both a fast pitch and a breaking pitch. Um, that is, again, very worrisome. But with his levels of talent, I think that he's going to come out of the growth, uh, this growth period, these growing pains. I think he's going to come out a lot stronger. Um, so then we have Willie Adamas. I got to get another one of these markers. Uh, Willie Adamas, he of the patient profile, patient power profile. You know, I talk about Volpe here, and he's going to show up in a minute. Um, I talk about him about having that corner outfield profile where you're going to strike out, you're going to walk. You may not do insane, you know, on balls in play, but you will hit for above average power on, you know, any like as far as out of play power, you'll be well above average. Um, Volpe's like that. And Adamas is the guy who I compare him to. He's also like that. Adamas has that corner outfield profile where everything is built around walks and power. Um, now, in addition to that, he's a decent defender. N nothing capable of gold gloves, I'd say. But another thing that's really worth mentioning is that in the clubhouse, he's so, his teammates love him. He is one of the better clubhouse reportedly from you know the players that have played with him one of the better clubhouse guys in the sport and an unbelievably hard worker. So I think that there's a possibility that the offense gets even better for him as he ages. However, even if he is just who he is right now, that's perfectly fine. And you know what, just because we mentioned him and he's a very, very similar player, just not the same throwing arm. Volpe, Anthony Volpe. I think everybody has the wrong idea of what Volpe is going to be. I don't think he's going to bat 300. I also don't think he's going to hit 30 home runs. But having that patient profile, he's going to walk. He's going to get on base. He's a very smart base runner. So I think that despite the fact that he's not the fastest, I think he's going to be a plus-plus base runner. He, he reportedly is the highest baseball IQ of any player in the minor leagues, like by a lot, which is, again, a really, really big deal. Um, but you're probably looking at a guy who's going to bat about 270 with, you know, 24 homers a year and at least 35 doubles a year plus base runner. Uh, someone who will find a way to be a plus defender at short, despite, you know, all of his physical limitations. You can do a lot of interesting things if you have that level of baseball IQ and work ethic. Um, and you don't usually see those types of things with a powerful profile which means there's likely tons of RBIs coming in here. Uh, not, an uncommon number for a shortstop, but, you know, corner outfield profiles for both of them. Uh, then we have, oh, I saw him yesterday. Corey Seager. This is a guy who analytically they're saying will benefit, arguably, you know, he's in the conversation, I guess, um, the most, in the conversation for the most, with the shift going away, his numbers could skyrocket. And despite being like six four, 
He's been able to be a plus defensive shortstop all his career. Um, he's a very impressive player, very high baseball IQ. He's going to anchor a middle of the order. The only issues that I see at this point in time are all related to health. If he can find a way to stay on the field longer, he's going to remain one of the 10 best players in the sport. Um, the injuries are the only thing that are keeping him out of that grouping. Then we have another guy who I saw yesterday just on TV. Tim Jackie Anderson. We did a whole podcast on the issues with him. Um, however, he is one of the most insanely electric athletes in the game. Unbelievably entertaining to watch. There are some things that he can do that are just feats of athleticism. He's unbelievably aggressive and yet still hits for the level of power that he hits for. I'm an unbelievably big fan of him as a ball player. However, he made a big mistake last year. Um, that is like some really, really watch the podcast, watch the one that we did on Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson and that entire situation. I think Tim Anderson's a better person than that, but it still complicates things that that even happened. And the White Sox reportedly have one of the worst clubhouses or have had one of the worst clubhouses in all of baseball. And he's been part of that clubhouse regularly, you know, adding the incident. And there are serious questions about his mental makeup with regards to how uh, friendly he is. Um, however, given his abilities, he's a fantastic teammate in that spark plug type of way. An unbelievable athlete. Um, I'm hoping that that's, just not the type of character that he really is. And I'm hoping that the clubhouse is the way that it is based off of other people or maybe mixing personalities that don't gel or something along those lines. Because if he is a really decent person, then it's the full package. It's the full package. So that's Tim Anderson. Then we got Lindor. Lindor is... If you're looking at a player who plays above their ability because of baseball IQ, I cannot give you a better example of players playing in today's game than Francisco Lindor. He's a switch hitter who's much better from the right side, despite the fact that as a switch hitter, you're going to mainly bat lefty. His numbers batting lefty are going to go up with the shift going away. Despite the fact that his physical abilities don't really say that he's a proper fit at shortstop, he's you know, he'd be a gold glove second baseman. He has been able to play the position because he positions himself perfectly. Despite the fact that his arm is not insanely, you know, accurate, he gets quick releases when he needs to get it over there. He'll get to the ball and release it, you know, fast enough for his arm to play up. He's insanely accurate, throws from different angles. Um, he maximizes his ability. And because of that, he's a plus plus shortstop. As he ages, I'm expecting him to move uh, over to second. Um, but with who's in the math system, Mauricio, or if Mauricio gets too big, Jet Williams, that's still going to completely fit on their team. And I do see him as being uh, a long-term piece in some sort of capacity for the Mets, even if it means he's dropping off to being a back-to-the-middle-of-the-order guy, because he's always going to have patience, and he's always going to have some degree of power. So I'm giving Lindor you know, full credit because – in the past, and I've done this for years, I've judged someone off of their ability, their approach, their trajectory. 
having a certain level of baseball IQ, it allows you to stay the best that you can be. Instead of just, oh, you get to your peak and then you start tapering off, you can sustain it longer, significantly longer in some people's cases. Lindor is one of those cases. Um, so we have Lindor. We have Bogarts. Yeah, I'm going to have to use a different, different marker here. Goodness gracious. Xander Bogarts just signed a massive deal. Man, that's much better. He signed a massive deal. Yeah, you can see that way yeah. better now. So much better. Um, let me angle that so you can see those names over there a little bit better. Yeah, just for now. Perfect. Um, Bogart signed a massive deal with the Padres. Insane amount of money, insane amount of years. This is a deal that is going to be unbelievably interesting. Bogart is a very unique profile, a very, very unique profile. He's a guy who has odd swing mechanics. He is a large shortstop who's been able to play the position. Somehow, despite being his size, he's been an elite base runner throughout his career. Um, and he's been mainly capitalizing throughout his career off of hitting against the green monster. Um, moving out of the American League, not just moving out of Fenway and the green monster, to go play in the National League West. After last year, his expected statistics were the worst of his career. Very troubling numbers. It's going to be really interesting seeing what happens to Bogarts because all of these things say that he should fall off of a cliff. However, he's also Xander Bogarts, a guy who has been a plus-plus defensive shortstop his whole career without injury issues and has found a way through you know good athleticism, but again, high baseball IQ, to be a plus-plus base runner and hit for average and hit for power. He's had every skill in the book, and he's demonstrated it for years on end. Um, it's going to be really interesting what happens to him because his skill set says, says he's really good, but the context says that there is a big fall off coming. Um, will that fall off sustain? Maybe he just had a down year last year. Um, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm mentioning these things because it is possible. Um, but knowing his ability, I think that he'll find a way, even if it takes a year. Um, Jeremy Pena, World Series MVP, Jeremy Pena. Unbelievably interesting story. Uh, he wasn't really considered insanely talented coming into the draft. Um, he was kind of seen to be like a super utility guy, maybe, you know, a platoon guy at second base. Um, and then the defense kept getting better and better and better. And the offense kept getting better and better and better. And then it was like, okay, well, Maybe he can play second and short. You know, he can kind of split between the two, but mainly be a second baseman. Then it was, wait, he can play shortstop. Then it was, hey, he might be able to hit a little bit. Then he started hitting for power. He showed up in spring training this year with biceps the size of basketballs. I am exaggerating, but massive biceps. So despite the fact that he was brought up like really quickly, with the physical improvements that he's made since joining the minor leagues, um, the sky's the limit. You know, you don't improve by this many leaps and bounds. It just doesn't happen. It happened to Tim Anderson, and look what he turned into. So I think Jeremy Pena, high probability of becoming a superstar. Um, 
Jackson Holiday. Jackson Holiday, son of Matt Holiday, taken first overall. It's a cool name, Jackson Holiday. It's a great name, and he, you know, as Matt Holiday's son, he can mash. He's a lefty hitting shortstop. I think that he's probably going to fill out. He's very young, very very young, um, and he does the whole show hair thing, you know, where he's got these flowing locks. I love it, um, but I think he's going to fill out. And if he fills out, he's probably going to be more of a fit at third base. That being said, as a third baseman, my comp for him is Rafael Devers. If he can stay at shortstop, being a Rafael Devers at the plate, you're talking about one of the five best, potentially five best players in all of baseball. So people roughly know him you know, as being the first person in the draft. Also, Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond, if you're hearing this, you're like, wait a second. Tommy Edmond's played second base his whole career. Cardinals have a whole bunch of people coming up who, you know, in terms of Walker and in terms of Gorman, in those people's cases, those are third basemen. And if you want to move them to first, well, Goldschmidt's over there. So you have Arnado and Goldschmidt stopping those people from those great, great power bats from batting, uh, you know, at their typical positions. One of them is going to end up being a second baseman, and one of them is going to end up playing in the outfield. Um, and because of that, you're going to have to move Edmund over because neither of them can play short. Neither of them can play short. And Edmund was such a good defender at second base last year. I think he can actually make the transition. You're talking about one of the fastest players in all of the major leagues, a switch hitter who's going to benefit from the shift going away, whose slugging percentage has gone up three years running. I think there's a possibility that he could turn into um similar trajectory to like JT Villamuto when JT Villamuto came up as a catcher, where you were looking at a guy who had good skills all around, who was able to build on them and get better and better and better. I think that's what's going on with him offensively. And I think the shift going away and then moving to shortstop offensively, defensively, he's going to gain tons of value this year. And I think he's kind of being slept on since he's played second base most of his career. And he hasn't been really that great of a hitter. He's just been like a guy who can hit enough to be a great base runner and be that type of electric spark plug. So I think he could take that next step this year. Then we have Wander Franco. Franco. Uh, Wander Franco is, he was, he was arguably the best, let me write that better, there we go. Uh, he was arguably the best prospect in all of the minor leagues when he was in Tampa Bay's farm. A plus-plus defensive uh, shortstop who is a power hitter from both sides of the plate with no issues for contact, with like in no issues in strikeouts or any any sort of putting balls in play, who walks enough to have a high on base percentage, with the physicality to hit the ball hard for doubles and a few homers now, but those doubles will start going over the fence once he adjusts to the big leagues. My only concern was he was moved fairly quickly, and you're also talking about someone who didn't quite hit for the levels of power in the minors that they should have given his body and he was moved very quickly that being said he's such an insane talent that like he's not going to have problems with strikeouts despite moving fast he's not going to have problems 
getting on base or hitting for average. He's not going to have problems, you know, on defense in any sort of way running the bases. He's not going to have any problems there. There might be a hiccup in terms of over the fence power, but with his profile, it's going to show up in doubles. So even if there's a growth period, he's still going to be, you know, plus plus one of the best 35 players in the sport at minimum, at minimum. He, if everything works out, he's a top 10. So insane levels of ability with him. Um, Now, this is a guy who the reason why I have him listed as a shortstop is because he's played there his entire career. And I think if you surround him with good defenders, I think he actually is a workable shortstop. I think that he, as a player, completely plays down if you have to move him to any other position outside of second base. Um, because of the type of offensive profile that he has. Um, but he has all of the physical tools, and it's not like a situation with Profar where he's been moved out of shortstop for so long that you can't even think about putting him back there, even with protection. I think that Ahmed is at a point in his career where if you put like a uh, Chapman, Donaldson, Machado, Arenado, Hayes-type defender at third, and you put someone who you know, could defend like uh, Edmund or, or Trevor Story, you know, or you know anyone like that at second base, I think he can be an adequate shortstop for you. And I think that that carries value. It's the only reason he's listed as a shortstop here. He's a plus base runner who's not the plus plus base runner that he was, but he is a plus there. He's an aggressive profile, so his offensive numbers play up and he does hit around about 5% above league average. So given that aggressive profiles play up about 8 to 10%, you're looking at a guy who's, you know, about 12% above league average with the bat. And he does have over-the-fence power. He always slugs over 400. And his numbers have gotten better the last three years. He's putting more balls in play without losing the ability to hit for power. So given the fact that he was always a guy who was rushed but had unbelievably high baseball IQ... Uh, I think, you know, Fangraphs wrote an article about him when he was in A-ball. Um, I think it's possible that the next couple of years, given that he does have power um, and he has been getting better, I do think that it's possible that the offense gets even better. And with an aggressive profile like this that plays up again 8 to 10% per WRC+, plus, um, I think that he could potentially have some big years ahead. If not, then he's going to be closer to the end of the list in terms of production, but he would still stay on the list. Um, so, yeah, Rosario, almost forgot to put him up there. Um, yeah, uh, now we have Mateo. Jorge Mateo. Jorge Mateo is the fastest person in baseball. And that is a big a big claim, a really big claim. But if you look at a lot of the other guys who are, you know, unbelievably fast in baseball, most of them are lefties. Most of them. Mateo, when he was in the minor leagues for the Yankees back then, he had an inside the park home run that he pulled in almost a full second shorter than what Billy Hamilton did. Billy Hamilton is one of the fastest players that I've ever seen in my entire life. He's in that conversation. You know, if I, what are the, what's the fastest player that you've ever seen? He's one of the first names I think of. So the fact that Mateo beat him by almost a full second in the inside the park home run 
is ridiculous, especially when you add on the fact that Hamilton did that with two steps closer to first base in the left-handed batter's box. And Mateo did that as a righty. So he legitimately is likely the fastest guy in the sport. And he's going to slug over 400, even if there's literally no batting average and literally no on-base percentage. Um, the on-base percentage ends up playing up because when he is on base, he's a really great base runner. Um, so even though he's not really on base percentaging, it plays higher than it is. And like I said, he's going to slug over 400, which is surprising for someone who's got that level of power or that level of a base running um, to have that much power. You, you don't see those things go together. You certainly don't see those things go together as an elite defensive shortstop. Am I expecting him to hit league average per WRC plus? No. But am I expecting elite shortstop defense with at least 45 stolen bases and maybe 15 home runs? Yeah. That's entirely realistic. And it's an unbelievably valuable person if you can bat them ninth on a championship team. It does mean it's worth mentioning he does have an aggressive profile. So things do play up. Um, and there is the possibility that he gets better at hitting, given the fact that last year was like only his second full big league season, like where he plays a full season. Um, and like the first one was in the National League, and this one's in the American League. Uh, and he was a top prospect. He was like one of the 10 best uh, prospects in the Yankee system, I believe, for multiple years. Um, you know, he was a guy I've always really liked. Because, like I said, you don't find that much speed with any sort of power. So he could turn into a monster as well. Uh, highly possible that he does. Um, so now we're going to get into. Did I name? No, there's a couple I didn't name. What am I talking about? Uh, Bo Bichette. I'm excited about getting into the prospect side of this because shortstop's an unbelievably athletic position. Um, Bo Bichette, whose defense has gotten better and better, who, despite the fact that, you know, he's legitimately Dansby Swanson sized, he's got like that similar type of body, has found a way to become more physically well-rounded in the last year as well. Um, I think the next couple of seasons, he goes off. And I shouldn't like to say that because he's a Blue Jay. And that's, you know, basically our chief rival, the Yankees' chief rival. Um, but, you know, the, the guy's talented. Talent is talent. So, yeah, he's stud. People know him. Um, oh, one last one. Another guy it's hard to forget about. O'Neill Cruz, six foot seven shortstop. While he can play shortstop, you want to keep him there. He's a lefty power hitter. Um, some of the swings that he would put on baseballs in the minors were absolutely beautiful. And there might be a severe adjustment period the next couple of years, similar to his teammate Hayes. However, the possibility of coming out the other side with, you know, a Jordan Alvarez light profile, we're not hitting quite as much as Alvarez, but the similar style of offense. You know, if he physically fills out, even if he can't stay at shortstop, which give him every opportunity to do that. He's an unbelievable athlete. You don't find six foot seven that can do that. Even if he can't stay at short, if he gets big, you know, gets real strong, which is it's going to happen. He's six, seven. Um, then you just move him over to third. and He's an elite defender at third, because if you move a shortstop to third, um, usually you're getting better defense. Um, and it's especially 
if you have an arm like that and you're that size, because if you charge the ball instead of going sideways, you can use your full body momentum to throw to first. Um, and un- it would be unbelievably exciting to see what the absolutely filled out version of O'Neill Cruz could throw to first. He'd throw over 100 miles an hour over there. It'd be unbelievably impressive. So O'Neill Cruz. All right. Now we're getting into guys that people don't know nearly as well. Since we mentioned O'Neill Cruz and his cannon of a throwing arm, we are going to mention Mason Wynn. Mason Wynn is of the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Uh, early on in the minors, he was both a pitcher and a shortstop. But he's hit enough, especially last year, uh, to show that he should be a shortstop. You know, he you don't find shortstops that both hit and have the ability to potentially play the type of defense that he could play. He's still a little bit raw with a few things because he's been splitting his time between pitching and shortstop. However, I have seen multiple times in the last year of him throwing from shortstop to first base over 100 miles an hour. That is ridiculous. Um, And for someone with his type of hitting mechanics, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen when he spends multiple years at a higher level. You know, if he starts in double A this year, I want to see what he does there. You know, I do think, however, given his profile, there's a possibility that he could be up by the end of the year if he goes off. And when I say by the end of the year, I mean September. I don't mean August. I don't mean he's going to spend any sort of significant time. But he could be ready by September if everything breaks right. And you're looking at an aggressive power hitting uh, shortstop. Similar to, to Semyon in a good year, Marcus Semyon, you know, his 260 average on base percentage being good, uh, 25 home run power. And he could do that throwing 100 miles an hour to first base. So insanely impressive athlete. Now we're going to talk about another guy who he's been doing pitching for a while, but now I think they're the, the Rays are seriously considering uh, moving him full time to short if they haven't already. And that is Arson Williams. Not a lot of people are looking at him right now. He has uh, strikeout issues, but it's because of his approach, at least at this point, he's very raw as somebody who's done pitching and hitting. However, This is a guy who could legitimately be an elite player. And when I say elite, I'm talking about top 20 in the sport. Someone who's an elite defensive shortstop. Someone who hits for at least 25 home runs with an aggressive profile. Maybe 270 batting average. Aggressive profiles play up. So it's not like, oh, 225. No, that's with an aggressive profile. There's going to be strikeouts with that for him to reach his power, Carson Williams. Um, however, like I said, he could be one of the 20, 25 best players in the sport if he can temper them. And I think he will, given the fact that he just needs reps. In my opinion, he needs reps. Um, okay. Oswald Peraza. Peraza. Oswald Peraza, not to be confused with Oswaldo Cabrera, both being Yankees who came up as shortstops. He is in a position battle right now with Volpe. And, you know, coming into spring training, it was very clear that it was going to be Peraza. But Volpe has hit to such a degree that uh, he made the competition close. Now, in my opinion, Peraza is still going to get the everyday role. 
That's mainly not because Volpe didn't earn it. It's because of service time manipulation. You get an extra year of control out of Anthony Volpe if you wait till June to call him up. It also gives the Yankees longer to consider how they're going to fit him into plans. Um, currently, we have Glaber Torres playing short, uh, second base, and we have, you know, like I said, Peraza or Volpe is going to take short. But we have DJ and Donaldson at third base. So there's not really room there. So I think that there's a little bit of roster shuffling going on now. I think that they're going to get Donaldson and DJ at bats by, you know, opening up DH, putting Stanton in right field for a little bit while Bader's out. Um, so I think they're, they're going to figure out who's going to hit and who's not going to hit. However, if Peraza doesn't end up being the shortstop and Bader, you know, gets hurt again because he has an injury history, I do think that it's highly possible that they take Peraza, move him to center field, and he has a career that's like a light version of Starling Marte. Not what Starling Marte did, but a light version of that. Because uh, shortstops convert very well to the outfield. And he is a burner. He's fast. He could steal 25 bases in a year, maybe 30. Um, but right now, he is a guy who's a plus-plus defensive shortstop with the ability to be decent for average, decent for power, uh, and a plus-plus base runner. So he shows up even if he may have to leave his position at some point in time. Um, but he may, not, he may not. You know, if they trade Torres and they end up moving – uh, Volpe over second, then Peraza stays at short. So he shows up, very well-rounded player. Um, a lot of the reasons why he's a plus defender are more related to the fact that he's, he, you know, sure he's got good range, he's got a good arm, but he really sets himself up well. Everything plays up because of that. Doesn't make errors. Um, Royce Lewis, another guy who is probably not going to end up playing shortstop, but can play it and can play it well right now. Now, he's had a couple of injuries that have kept him out. But if you're t- talking about someone who's a plus-plus defender at the spot, who could legitimately hit 30 homers and could legitimately steal probably max 30 bases, he could, at best, go 30-30 with a 260 average. Um, and he's learning how to walk. The strikeouts are coming down. Um, he's a guy who... If you're talking about the potential, the potential is a top 10 player in the sport. Um, If things only work out to a minor level, you're only talking about moving back to the, you know, maybe the top 25. Um, What else? Oh, Orlando Arcia. Orlando Arcia, I don't even know if he's ever going to play shortstop again. You know, it's him and Grisham competing for the spot. Uh, with the Braves, you know, is it possible that, you know, Albies, you know, doesn't hit that much and you're going to have to move him to, you know, the, an outfield spot, maybe move him to center, take advantage of his speed, move Harris over to left. Um, that's the only way that I really see him getting the everyday shortstop position for the Braves. Can he play it? Yes. Has he finally graduated from being, you know, a guy who hits in the minors to a guy who can actually hit decently in the big leagues absolutely is he a guy who steps it up in big moments a hundred percent um is he anyway a superstar no is he close to a superstar no will he be close to a superstar it's not off the table given the fact that he was a top prospect he'd be a very late developing superstar 
However, if you're making a World Series lineup, yeah, he's a World Series level shortstop. You don't need a guy to be middle of the order if they can do the job at short. If they can get on base and be a decent base runner. If they can hit a little bit for power. If if they can show up in big moments and play good defense, not get hurt. He does all of that. C.J. Abrams. Nothing like an M1 Abrams. For those who know, you know, tanks and, and warfare and stuff like that, he's not powerful. He's fast. He's got the frame to be powerful, which is exciting given the fact that he's a left-handed hitter as well. But he is one of the fastest players in all of the minor leagues. He's proven that he is a capable shortstop. Will he stay there long term? Hard to say, but I'm going to say yes. Uh, I've liked his work ethic since the first time I evaluated him. He is a bigger guy. Like I said, he could grow into some power. Um, I don't see lots of strikeout concern there either. But the fact that he's that fast as a left-handed power hitting shortstop, the ceiling is the roof, as they say. Ceiling is the roof. Uh, (laughs) Save me. Um, Then we have Nico Horner. Again, another guy who's never going to play shortstop again. Uh, This is because Swanson is now in the Cubs and Horner is being moved to third, which is he's going to be one of the best defensive third basemen in all of baseball, but he doesn't really have the bat for the spot. I'm wondering if that's kind of the idea there where they make it so that he doesn't have to focus on defense more and can kind of develop the bat. Um, Right now I see him as a shortstop, and I think the best thing that they could do is trade him because he doesn't nearly have the value at third that he has at short. And if he plays a full year at third, people are going to start saying that he can't play short anymore or can he, or at least doubt it. Can he still play short? Um, I think the best thing you could do is trade him since you added Swanson. If not, if not, uh, then you have to clear out second base for him. So that's something that I like, you know, both him and a lot of guys on the team around Horner are still developing. So if you have Swanson and him up the middle, I feel like that adds a lot of stability and could add a lot of confidence for these kids. But right now they've penciled in Horner at third, and I can't say I like that too much. Jackson Merrill, another guy who probably won't stay at Chihuahua. I say probably. He won't. He's a Padre. As long as he's a Padre, he's going to end up being at second base, taking over for uh, the Kim-Cronenworth uh, combination, at least. Uh, from what we can see right now. Does he play plus-plus defense as shortstop? Yes. Is he the rare player who is an infielder, plus infielder, who's also a lefty, who can hit? Yes. Does he walk? Yes. Does he hit the ball hard and regularly, hit the ball for power? Um, If you look at his hard hit percentage and all of those types of rates um, for the minors, he hits the ball unbelievably hard. Also, he doesn't really have a weakness, fastballs, breaking balls, or off speed. So what is the one issue with his profile? He doesn't even have issues with health. What's the one issue with his profile? Right now, outside of everything that he can do, he hits a few too many ground balls. And if you have high baseball IQ and you have an unbelievable work ethic or you're working with the right coaches, you just change the swing mechanics. And he can do everything as a left-handed hitting plus defensive shortstop, even if he's going to end up moving to second. 
Eric Brown Jr. Indiana Jones Jr. Or Henry Jones Jr. Yeah, for if you know you guys seen uh Christmas. I'm loving all the voices. <laughs> Goodness gracious. It's one of those days, man. I'm having fun. We're having fun. Uh, <laughs> um Eric Brown was one of the best defensive shortstops coming into the draft last year. Unbelievably defensively, uh, you know, you could say solid, but he's a it, solid in that he doesn't make errors, you know, uh, gets the throws to the lead base, gets the lead out, lead runner. Um, strong throwing arm, throws from different angles. I mean, he's not insanely good defensive because he's got the arm or the the range or or any of those types of things. He's just a great athlete. His swing is one of the most uncommon swings that I've ever seen in my entire life. And if it plays, he's going to put up insane numbers just because of that type of swing. High probability it doesn't play. So this is a guy who, you know, if things go right, he's a superstar, but he might not even be an everyday second baseman if things go wrong. He might, he might be even... He may not make the majors if things go wrong. So this is an unbelievably volatile player, um, which is odd for a player who doesn't make errors, who is a good idea of the strike zone, and who will at minimum make contact. It's that the swing mechanics, if he can hit for power with those swing mechanics, he's going to be um, unbelievable. But there's also a high possibility that he doesn't hit for any power with those swing mechanics. And I mean not even doubles power. Um, and with his body type, you know, I'm wondering how he's going to do defensively at shortstop versus people who hit the ball a lot harder. So unbelievably volatile profile. Now, Chris, I didn't tell you about this, but one of the things that I did to the list, um, and this is this is really cool, I updated it for the draft this year. So we wow. have, yeah, the guys who haven't even been selected, but we know they're going to go in the draft. So talking about one of those guys, Dylan Cup. Yeah, his name is Dylan Cup. Two Ps. Curious name. He is going to be top of the draft. Well-rounded player. Great work ethic. Hard-nosed. Uh, you know, type that gets his uniform dirty. Um, if he's going to have any plus plus, like true plus plus offensive skill, I think it's going to be power developing. But he could be a very well-rounded profile. Um, if you're going to ask me a comp, again, it's really early for me to put a comp on a guy who is, I've only you know, recently evaluated. Um, he reminds me a lot of Alex Bregman. I mean, Alex Bregman's a cheater, but the skill set. The, <laughs> the skill set. Um, okay, so now we have Bryce Terang. And for those of you who have been in the prospect realm, it's like, wait, he's still around? You know, this was a guy who was, like, notable as, like, you know, a, years ago, right? So it's like, what happened to him? Well, the batting eye was always there, and the defense was always there. It's not like he ever stopped being a lefty. Um, he learned how to stay healthy. That was a really big development. And in the last year, it doesn't entirely look like it, 
but he learned to hit for power. Some of his power numbers and relevant power numbers at that are some of the best in the minor leagues. I had no clue, but there was a leaderboard that came out recently and it shocked me, utterly shocked me. Um, and for somebody who is clearly a long-term plus-plus defensive shortstop and a left-handed hitter who has never had problems with walking, um, I do think that you're looking at a guy who may not be a stud at the big league level and may not hit lefties, but you could platoon him at short, at worst, move him to second. But I do think you're looking at a guy who has no defensive concerns if you want to put him at shortstop every day long term okay we have oh you know i'm gonna do these guys together because these were taken really close to each other in the draft and they're very they're complementing profiles jordan lawler and marcelo mayor lawler is you know he's described as a quote-unquote baseball rat Unbelievably hard worker, unbelievably high baseball IQ, fantastic defender, despite being like 6'3", 6'4", at shortstop. Um, great idea of the strike zone, will hit for power. There are some issues with his swing mechanics, but the players that have made those swing mechanics work at the big league level, guys like Chris Bryant, Nick Castellanos, um, J.D. Martinez, they have hit for some of the most power in play and out of play in sport. So, like I said earlier, the ceiling is the roof with a guy like that. Um, but he was moved at a rate last year where even though he was performing, he had to work the count deeper and deeper and struck out more and more at each level uh, and did slightly worse. So I think the best thing that the team could probably do, the Diamondbacks of the team with him, put him at double A, leave him there the entire season, the entire year. Don't move him. You know, he's probably ready to leave A ball. But you don't want to move him multiple levels this year. Let him get comfortable. Let him make those adjustments with his swing because you're looking at a guy who, if things work, if things click, is top 30 player in the sport. And you'll hear me saying, you know, top 30 player, top 30 player a lot with shortstop because the athleticism and, you know, in some cases power, if you can do that while staying at shortstop, if you can hit 25 home runs with a respectable batting average while being a decent base runner and a plus plus shortstop, you're going to be one of the best players in the game. So uh, Mayer and Lawler, they're different in that Mayer is not as good of a defender in terms of skills, as Lawler. But Mayer is also a left-handed hitter, which is a big skill that, and if, if Lawler ends up having trouble versus righties because of his swing mechanics, if those swing mechanics don't work, he doesn't make those adjustments, you know, he's not going to have nearly as much value as Mayer because if Mayer doesn't hit lefties as a lefty, he's still hitting versus basically everyone else. 75%, 80%, around there of the league are righties. So Mayer would be hitting that percentage of the league, whereas Lawler would be hitting the other 15-ish percent of the league. So Mayer, despite the fact that he doesn't have the base running or the defense on Lawler, he has handedness, which is a really big deal. And both of them have about the same Q 
capabilities for power. Both of them are basically lots of doubles, 25 home runs, where if things really work out, then you're talking about higher than that. But I don't think that there's any issues with a, a guy who's going to be a plus defensive shortstop, be able to stay there. That 265 with 25 home runs, I don't see any issues with that at all. So, and the reason why I'm really grouping them together is that both of them competed basically against each other for the top of the draft, like I think two years ago it was. Um, and he's been doing great. Both, both of them have been performing in the minors. Um, and there's been, you know, caveats with both, like a uh, mayor maybe striking out a little bit too much. That's a worry. And Lawler, as he ascends, like I said, he's working deeper counts and the, the power is not as out of play. Um, but for both of these guys, given their mental makeup and their work ethics and you know, just across the board, everything, I think their profiles are going to play. Um, however, if the profiles don't play, you might be talking about moving these guys, you know, to third base, to a corner outfield spot where there's a lot more pressure on the bat. If you move Lawler to third base and he doesn't hit righties, it's, I don't want that player. If he can't play short and you have to move a guy who doesn't hit righties to third, I don't want that player. If you move Marcelo Mayer being a guy who's basically a platoon player, you know, if you move him to an outfield corner spot, there's a lot of guys who can do that. A lot of corner outfield bats they can hit, you know, um, and then he'd be a good player. And both of them would, in both cases would be good players. Like LeMay, who's a guy who doesn't hit righties and is a very good third baseman. And that would, that's, you know, Lawler would be that, with, but with base running, um, you're still looking at everyday players. Uh, it's just, that's kind of the scale. You're looking at at worst, a corner, a normal corner outfielder in Mayer and like a DJ LeMahieu type at third base in Lawler. Uh, but for both of those guys, they could be 260 hitters with 25 home runs, both playing shortstop. One is a lefty and one is a better defender uh, and better base runner. So, now we have, and this is a, shortstop is a long one. We have Edwin Arroyo. Now, I looked into this guy a while ago, and I saw a guy who, if he doesn't fill out, he's not going to do well. And I saw a guy, well, if he did fill out, then, you know, you're talking about a second baseman. The last look that I got on Edwin Arroyo, he, he still looked like he's going to eventually move to second, but keep him at short as long as you can because the offensive profile looked like a bigger version of the Lindor profile. Very similar swings, both switch hitters. Um, and that's very high praise. Um, if Edwin Arroyo can stay at shortstop, he is going to be at peak. The potential, the ceiling is a, a Lindor type. Not defensively, Lindor would be better than him, but he would have more doubles than Lindor. Um, however, this is one of those spots, you know, at shortstop where if things don't work out, I don't know if he's an everyday player. I don't know if he graduates AAA. So similar to Brown, it's very much boom or bust with this dude. Um, now, here's another guy from the draft. And I want to make sure that I'm spelling his name right. His, his first name is Roche, which is very interesting. His last name is Sholowski. That's a long name. Very interesting baseball name, but 
the talent is what the talent is. And of the players that I evaluated in the draft, between what I can say with how comfortable I am with his swing and that he can play the position the way that he can, of the people in the first round, he's got some of the highest potential to be a superstar. You're looking at a guy who could do everything, average, power, defense, everything. Base running, I don't know how that's going to look as he gets older, to be fair. But, um, you know, when you see a shortstop and, you know, it's ski or, you know, Shalos, it's spelled sky, but um, ski. When you see when you see that and you see a shortstop and you see his size and his type of movements, it's kind of hard to not think of Choi Tolowitzki. And if he fills out, it's not off the table that he could be a similar player. Um, that one that doesn't have the ceiling that Tolwitzki did, but more than likely one that stays healthier. Um, another draft guy, Matt Shaw. It's a very baseball name, Matt Shaw. Um, well-rounded profile, high big league probability. I don't see a superstar, but I see a well-rounded everyday guy. And there's going to be power. There's going to be power with this. Um, but I see long-term is probably more of a second baseman. Keep my short as long as you can because of the power. Uh, I don't like selecting guys in the draft unless there is some sort of comfortability that this person is going to uh, pan out. It's very rare where there's someone who I'm, I, I'm taking them out of the draft because of just how raw they are. Uh, when we get to the outfield list, there's going to be a few of those guys. But, you know, of course there is. Uh, it's outfield. Um, there's a few of these guys on this list, but, you know, it's a little bit harder uh, to find guys who can do the finer skills at shortstop, you know, to, to play shortstop than it is to find a guy who's just a raw athlete who can run things down in the outfield. Um, it's hard for y'all to see behind me. So I'll move the, the chair over a little bit. Yiddy. Cappy. That is one of the odder baseball names that I've seen in a long time. There are some highlights of him that look like Carlos Correa. That's the ceiling. However, at his age and at his level, he also has an unbelievably high probability of being nothing. Like nothing, nothing. I mean, not even do well in double A or triple A. But the ceiling is a Correa type. 25 home runs, 270 batting average, being a big physical shortstop, like 6'3 type thing. Um, so we did Edna, we did Mateo, we did Rosario, we did Caput, we did Shaw, Brown, Chalowski, Arroyo, Volpe, Terang, Abrams, Cruz, Cup, Arcia, Holiday, Bogarts, Merrill, uh, Horner, Pena, Lawler, uh, Mayor, we did Win Swanson, Carson Williams. Oh, the other Williams. How could I forget? I mentioned him very briefly when I talked about the Mets uh, Lindor shortstop situation. Jet Williams. Right now, he can play shortstop. I don't know what that's going to look like long term, and I'd hope that he can stay there. But the type of profile. And I don't mean in terms of, oh, is he going to put up similar numbers? 
but he's the smaller type of guy whose numbers will play massively higher than their size. Altuve did this. Um, Pedroia did this. Uh, Edmund is kind of doing this. Jet Williams is a guy who could do that. He might max out at maybe 12 home runs, but he's going to hit tons of doubles. And he's going to be able to play a plus-plus defensive uh, shortstop at worst second base. He's a grinder. He's going to be good on the bases. He's going to, you know, walk. He's, like they say, a baseball rat. Very high baseball IQ. Unbelievably hard worker. And to be his size, the dude's like 5'10". To be his size, he might even be 5'9". At his size, to be able to do what he's doing is unbelievably impressive. There are no mechanical issues here. There's no issues with is his lower body strong enough. His lower body is more built than guys like uh, uh, Swanson. You know, I'd say the gains that Bichette has made are very similar to the lower body that Jet Williams already has. I think he was an unbelievable draft pick. I'm an unbelievably big fan of that type of player um, where the athleticism is there and everything is there, like literally swing mechanics, everything, you know, body proportions. He's just a little smaller. You know, hard worker, gets his uniform dirty, not afraid to slide into first base even, you know. Um, Unbelievably talented player. And, you know, since I I mentioned Jed Williams for the Mets, I'm also going to mention – sometimes, you know, you write a word and it's just like, am I spelling this correctly? Yeah, there we go. See, Ronnie Mauricio. Ronnie Mauricio – Six foot three shortstop. Sometimes he makes highlight plays that are absolutely incredible. And then sometimes he'll like botch, you know, a fairly normal play. I think if you leave him at the same level for multiple years, those normal plays will become routine. And outside of the routine plays, he will make unbelievable highlight real plays. He initially, I saw a ceiling of like a Dexter Fowler. I thought he was not going to be able to play shortstop. I thought that he would not be able to be uh, enough of a hitter for third base. And I think I thought that he was going to move to center field and at best be a guy who walks strike out, strikes out, hits for power and sticks around center field for a few years as a switch hitter. That's what I saw. Very similar players back then in the years since Mauricio has remade his body and remade his swing mechanics you're now looking at a guy who's a switch hitter who could potentially hit 30 home runs a year at shortstop while not killing you for batting average, especially with the shift leaving. Like I said, if you leave him multiple years at the same level, I think the defense, that the routine plays become routine. And I think when he has to make the tough play, he can. So this is a guy that if long-term – They have to move him to third. The offense will still be there. And if he does move to third, you're looking at a plus-plus defensive player. Now, is it possible that coming up to the highest level will make it so that swing and miss issues become more apparent for him? Absolutely. But as a guy who's that size with that type of power, who's a switch hitter and up the middle, even if he falls back on that Dexter Fowler projection, you're still now looking at, instead of, a worse Dexter Fowler, as was the projection back then, actually Dexter Fowler numbers, profile. Um, so 25 home runs, uh, good base running, switch hitting, 
workable center field defense, shows up in big moments, tons of RBIs on base a lot. So um, you don't usually see a guy with his abilities uh, turn into like the optimal outcome. If you're saying like percentiles, like what's the, the best possible outcome that could happen to Mauricio, that's what's happened. And it rarely happens for player players with his type of raw profile who are tall and skinny and lanky. It rarely when the body fills out with those types of guys who've got weird swing mechanics, does the body fill out in such a way that brings strength and coordination. So let's see that that might actually be all of our shortstops. We have three left. Okay. Vaughn Grisham. He's part of the reason why our boy Arcia may not be able to ever play shortstop again because Vaughn Grisham, they brought up from high A and he mashed some guys when they start hitting, they're just ready. You know, there was an, there's an argument to be made that Jason Dominguez doesn't need to be in the minor leagues anymore, that the last of the adjustments that he needs to make, he can make off of big league arms. You know, we saw that from Ronald Acuna and a few other other of these guys, uh, Soto even. He made the last adjustments actually his first year in the major leagues. He's so incredible. Grisham is a guy who potentially, because of the level of power that he can hit for, because of the fact that he walks and doesn't have extreme strikeout issues, could jump from high A to the big leagues and end up making those adjustments at the big league level. However, for his team, right now, keep him at shortstop as long as you can. Austin Riley cannot play good defense at third. Even if he occasionally makes, you know, a highlight reel play, he has no range. He has no range. He doesn't release the ball fast enough. There's a lot of infield singles against him. At some point in time, the smart thing that you can do with Riley would be to move him to a position where he can focus on the bat and focus on his strength defensively, which is his throwing arm. So, Maybe they trade Olsen and he goes over to first. Maybe they trade Travis Darno and he goes over to DH. Maybe they keep Harris in center field and they end up putting him at, you know, left field with Acuna in right field. But I don't see Riley staying at third long term for them. And I think Grisham ends up replacing him. Highly possible that Grisham goes through like an adjustment year where like the first 400 at-bats of the year he doesn't hit. In the last 250, he goes off. But given what I saw from him, which is good swing mechanics, a good eye at the plate, a fantastic body to hit for power, um, I do think he could join that club of guys who are zoomed through the lower levels of the minors and have no real ill effects of it hurting their careers. All right, last two, two of my favorite guys as far as shortstop prospects go. Zach Neto. Zach Neto was taken in the draft by the Los Angeles Angels. My comp for Zach Neto is Javi Baez. Insane athlete. Insane athlete. Makes defensive plays that make people go, oh my good!" Like those types of Javi Baez plays. Swing mechanics, Javi Baez level. Aggressiveness, also Javi Baez level. And I think that's where a lot of evaluators have had a little bit of pause. And, you know, that's kind of the case across baseball is that when you see an aggressive hitter, 
a lot of guys who aren't the best at evaluating are red flags everywhere. It's absolutely fine to be an aggressive hitter. You age differently, of course, um, but it's a different type of profile. If you can pull it off, which guys like Bias have done their whole careers, uh, it is an unbelievably valuable thing to add to your lineup. Uh, the more different looks of above average players who show up in big moments that you can give a pitcher, the harder it is for that pitcher to fall into a groove. It's part of the reason I hate Boone's managing because at the bottom of the lineup, he'll bat guys like IKF and Trevino back to back, both righties who can't hit. So what does a pitcher do? Get into a groove next to them because routinely Boone will put a righty ahead of them or a righty behind them, three righties in a row. So whichever righty he bats near them ends up suffering. But I digress. Having a guy who is that aggressive but actually makes it play, remember, aggression plays up. So if he comes up to the big leagues and he's even 10% above league average, that's 20% with an aggressive profile. You add in the fact that he's going to be a plus-plus base runner and arguably could be an elite defender, and he's one of the most high-ceiling players to come out of the draft in recent years. All right, our last shortstop. Let's see if I can squeeze him in over here. De La Cruz. Ellie De La Cruz is his name. First time I heard about him, I was like, wow, you know, that's total boomer bust. You're talking about a guy who he could be a 35 home run hitter at shortstop, but also someone who has, he swings and misses a lot. This is the type of athlete that doesn't come along very often in baseball. This is the type of athlete where you're talking about size, coordination, uh, muscle. Muscle's already there. Uh, proportional uh, athlete, completely proportional. Uh, swing mechanics, beautiful. Um, in play power, out of play power. Um, has played in double A. Um, I think you could be looking at one of those types of profiles where you strike out to get to power like Baez or like a Teoscar Hernandez. Keep him at shortstop as long as he can stay at shortstop. Likelihood is he puts on a lot of muscle and ends up being a 35 home run hitter at third base, which, you know, we see those guys come around. He would be one of those. Um, but if he does move to third base, you could also get gold glove defense over there. Um and as far as guys on here who, like, as far as ceilings as hitters, he's probably, of the guys who are in the minors on here, of the ones in the minors, he probably has a top five ceiling offensively. Um, 35 home run hitter, 265, 270 batting average, lots of walks, uh, because at that point in time, you know, he's not going to want to strike out as much. He'll probably, spending multiple years in the same league, end up at least fouling off some of those pitches, which will make deeper counts and increase the walks while decreasing the strikeouts. Um, that's the ceiling. The floor, he would still be a big leaguer, um, but probably either a guy who was up and down or was used in a platoon or you know something that's not really major. So uh, the floor with him, the worst that could happen with him is he's not an everyday regular as a big leaguer but the ceiling is of prospects like i said 
one of the five best on this entire list. All right. I think that is the entire shortstop list for y'all. We're going to do the quick, uh, uh, you know, know, we're going to do what's best, Chris. Are you down to do the 11 DHs right now? Finish that up and then jump on to part three next time. What are you thinking? I think that we can hit the 11 DHs quick. I mean, it's only 11 players. I think you can run through them really quickly. Especially Um, because DHs, I mean, they're there by virtue of hitting. So y'all know them, (laughs) most of them. Otani, I don't have to say anything about Otani while the World Baseball Classic is going on. We know what Otani is. You know what Otani is? Otani is on my shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wearing Not a Japanese Otani. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 a, a superstar. You know, I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm trying to get his merch. Um, it was similar, like when we really realized who Trout was. I have a signed Trout baseball. Um, some guys go beyond their own franchise. Um, all right, so obviously Otani. Jordan Alvarez, whose expected statistics as a left-handed power hitter for the Houston Astros, their best hitter in their entire lineup, mind you, full of -of middle-of-the-order hitters. Jordan Alvarez, his expected statistics last year, were the only ones of anyone in the major leagues that were around Aaron Judges. Now, Jordan Alvarez didn't hit 62 home runs, so there's, there's that, but if your numbers outside of over the fence are nearly the same as Aaron judges, 62 home run season, then, you know, there's an argument that you're the best hitter in the game, best hitter in the world. Um, and that's Jordan Alvarez. It's, it's he's, he's in that conversation and he might be that because Aaron judge after all is a righty. And we're talking about not, you know, Aaron judge can play the outfield at, a D, at an elite defensive level. Jordan Alvarez is a DH. Can't run the bases at all. Can't play good defense at all. Uh, He's only a DH, but he is a lefty. So if you're looking at just hitters, just at the plate, there is an argument that he's the best hitter in baseball. Then we got Eloy Jimenez. Most of y'all know Eloy. He's been a middle-of-the-order hitter for the White Sox, and before that, he was a top prospect for them, and then before that, the Cubs. He came up as one of those great prospects in, you know, that Cubs class that was, you know, Stocked with Soler, Rizzo, Bryant, and all all of them. He was one of the last members of that class, um, you know, right there with Glaber Torres. They traded both of those guys away uh, to finish off their championship team. But those guys were in the mix with them, both Eloy and Glaber. Eloy is one of the most impressive hitters when he's healthy in the game because he doesn't swing and miss. He doesn't strike out. And despite that, he hits for legitimate 40 home run power and decent batting average. Um, My comp for the type of career that he could have, if things keep working out, is Nelson Cruz. And Nelson Cruz, he's like got 400-something home runs right now. So that's the potential that Eloy Jimenez could have, especially now that he's the DH. They've moved him out of the outfield, probably will keep him healthier. Um, I'm expecting at least 35 home runs from him this year. That's my projection, at least 35, around that. I'd say the minimum I'll I'll expect out of him is 33 if he's healthy for the full season. That's minimum. The maximum I'll expect out of him is 42. So I'm thinking at least around 35. Sounds reasonable. Um, 
Then we got Bryce Harper, another guy I really don't need to say anything about. It's like, do I have to tell you guys about Mike Trout too? <laughs> you know? No, Harper is as good as it gets. And with the shift gone, I'm so excited about when he comes back from injury. Uh, I mean, he could, in theory, um, you know, go all 2015 all over again with the shift gone. He's a heavy pull hitter. Um, and he already bats like 330, 340 on balls in play because of how hard he hits the ball. Um, Michael Brantley. Um, this was a guy I had to put on here. It, it was it, This was a difficult one for me to put on here because Brantley just got labrum surgery on his shoulder for like the second time in his career. And he's like 36 years old. Um, but he's always been such a good hitter that in my mind, it's not impossible that he can compensate. Uh, that being said, if he did compensate, he'd have to compensate while being in a platoon, while being put at DH, while in the lineup with protection. But if he did that, you're, you are talking about a guy with those circumstances as a true middle-of-the-order hitter who's lefty, meaning he's going to be middle-of-the-order specifically versus most pitchers I had to keep him on here but there is a legitimate possibility that because of the labrum he's never going to hit for power again and uh shouldn't be anywhere near this list but given you know his track record given the fact that he's gotten this surgery before uh so at least maybe he'll know how to recover from it better or something i mean maybe it's just going to make it worse um like he's going to be weaker or something like that. I mean, that's already going to happen. He's already going to be significantly weaker from that. Um, but the ceiling with him is a middle of the order hitter from the left side of the plate in an era where there's now no shift. And uh, I think if, if he is going to be anything, he's with the team, with the conditions, you know, lineup protection and everything um, where it'll happen. Um if he changed teams or went to a different ballpark or went to a lineup with no protection, he would not show up on this list. Uh, but he's still with the team that he's had most of his success with. He doesn't have strikeout issues, knows how to walk. He is a left-handed hitter. Um, there's a possibility that he could mitigate the decline. Although if we're talking about, if I'm making this list for say 2024, 2025, I'm not sure he shows up. Um, everybody knows Justin Turner. He's now of the Boston Red Sox. Um, he really hit last year. He showed that he could make that transition from you know being that true middle of the order hitter to being a productive, aggressive hitter, um, which is a really hard transition for veterans to do, but he did it. Fantastic swing mechanics as always. He's going to be the DH, which is going to be interesting because he's not going to be on his feet as much. I'm sure he'll find some time in the field to spell Devers because Devers is not really that great of a third baseman. So they'll find a way to get his, you know, legs underneath him. But I think Turner in Fenway with the green monster working for him is he's got a couple more good years in him, maybe at least one. Um, but given his track record, there's no injuries that are going to hurt him. You know, he got hit in the face, but there was no concussions, no structural damage. Um, you know, if that had happened, then he would be off the list immediately. And that happened like a week ago. So is he on the older side? Yes. Do I expect him to be anything like he used to be? No. Uh, but he's in the light, the right lineup and he's in the right ballpark to succeed. Um, 
Jose Abreu. Now he's never he's never going to be who he was. Jose Abreu is never going to be who he was. Um, and right now he's the first baseman of Houston. However, in my opinion, if you took him off his feet and you had him just concentrate on the bat, you had him have lineup protection that Houston is giving him, I think the offense shows up even more. Um, He's nearing the end. It is worth mentioning. He is going to hit above average this year. At one point in time, not only was he viewed by scouts as one of the best hitters in the world, but when he came over to the U.S. right after, he was one of the best hitters in the world. And after a few years of not having lineup protection, the White Sox gave him lineup protection, and he eventually, you know, he went right back to being that one of the best hitters in the world. Now he's a couple of years removed from that. You're probably seeing a profile where he's going to be about 15%, maybe 10% above league average, with his profile that plays up to around 20% above league average. However, with the background of being one of the best hitters on earth as an aggressive profile. In big moments, he's gonna hit. He's gonna hit you. He's gonna kill you. He's gonna destroy you in those moments. He can bring it back because because of the aggression and because of the lack of strikeouts throughout his career. It's part of the reason that I think Houston got him is that they realize that, you know, this is a group that they have the chance of. You know, the guys are older. They need to take advantage of every every bit of championship window that Houston has. So bringing in a guy who is unstoppable in big moments giving him lineup protection, bringing him to a team with a better clubhouse. There is a possibility that he has one more good year, even not at DH. But I could, I'd feel a lot more for sure about it if he was at DH. Um, Jorge Soler, DH of the Miami Marlins. Another guy who I think could have the type of career of Nelson Cruz, but not in the type of way of Eloy. The reason why I compare Soler to Nelson Cruz is he's a 30-home run bat, who is likely going to have his whole entire career of best years happen after age 30. The guy's like 31 or 32 right now. And I think now is when he begins his prime. And I think he has his prime until he's about 37 years old. Um, And Nelson Cruz, he was a late bloomer as well. He started his prime at like 28, 30 years old. So I don't think that he's going to put up the numbers that Nelson Cruz did. And that's why the Eloy Jimenez-Nelson Cruz comparison is there. Because I think Eloy could do it. Soler's not going to do that. But he could very realistically have multiple 30 home run seasons in the next five years. Um, So I do think he's a late bloomer as a guy who came out of Cuba. Um, But I do think he's going to be middle of the order. He's crushed fastballs for most of his career. Um. He's just got to learn how to hit either the off-speed pitch or the breaking ball. And, you know, with his physicality, his swing mechanics, all of it, I think he's going to do that, at least to a workable point, uh, to a point where he can work to get to the fastball. Um, All right, last two DHs. These are guys who are not really graduated prospect, though. You have Matt Mervis. Yeah, Matt Mervis. He is a Chicago Cub. He is a guy who performed at a high level of uh, the minor leagues. Uh, Absolutely tore up the league. Absolutely dominated the league. Um, Is he going to do it in the big leagues? When you hit that much, 
you know, without real, you know, issues with your profiling. Like, you know, oh, is it just that you're you're hitting mistakes? No. Do you have strikeout issues? No. In play and out of play power. Yeah. Um, Matt Mervis could be very good, or he could be like Ty France for a year and a half. He shows up on here because of that. Even if he's a middle of the order hitter, the guy you want to have on a championship team for a year, two years, that still fills a middle of the order championship slot. Now, is it possible that Mervis doesn't hit and ends up like being like a bench player, platoon guy? Sure, 100%. But given the numbers that he put up in the high minors, there is a strong possibility he hits. Similarly, and you know, this is a little bit different because this guy's actually considered to be a really good prospect. Tampa Bay Rays have this guy named Ryan Manzardo. I always I always think that his name is uh oh no, no, sorry, Kyle Manzardo. I, I always mix that up. I always mix that up. Ryan Kyle, Ryan Kyle. Um uh, both Y names. You know, you put your Y in that name, and some some kid who plays baseball. Those are both baseball player names. Kyle. Manzardo. If I'm going to give a comp for him, Michael Brantley doesn't strike out, walks, going to hit for decent average, going to get on base, going to hit for power, not insane amounts, but both doubles and home runs, not going to be easy to get out at all, but that's all he is. He's just the bat. Um, but that's fine. Tampa Bay needs bats at this point in time. You know, um, they're in a they're in a uh, retooling year, I guess is one way of putting it. They're going to be battling Boston for third place. Um, I think Manzardo is really going to help them out there. Um, and that's the DH side of the list. Uh, the next time that we come at you, we're going to be bringing you the outfield side of the list. Um before we go, I do want to mention this, and this is the benefit. This is the beauty of being able to do the player list in like three parts and then jump into all sorts of other stuff. Because since we're doing all of this like so succinctly, there's not going to be very many changes of the list. Because look, I'm always working on it. There's not going to be very many changes, and you guys will be able to keep up with said changes. For instance... Matt Carpenter was on the DH part of the list. He is off the list because even though he went off last year, I'm not banking on someone at his age going against a trajectory. And mind you, a trajectory. We're not talking about it being stunted, a decline that's lasted eight seasons. You're not going to stop that at 37 years old with a good first half. And I would have loved him to do that. And the bias in me wants him to do that because that's Matt Carpenter, middle of the order hitter for years on end, hitting once again, middle of the order the way he used to. That's a dream. You'd love to see that happen and, and be a thing. It's like, you know, why pools hitting like he did last year was like so special last year. He was his old self. And I'd like to think that that's what happened with Carpenter too. I don't think he's going to do anything at all for the Padres, similar to, how I think Nelson Cruz isn't going to do anything for them either. You hope platooning the two, maybe you'll get something. But Carpenter is off the list. Um, also, three guys who are going from the regular part of the list onto the honorable mentions part of the list since the last time you saw part one, since you all saw part one. 
Uh, Kirilov, Alex Kirilov is going on to the honorable mentions part of the list. He is going on onto the honorable mentions part of the list in difference to an outfielder. So when we go on to the outfield list, I'll cover who's replacing him. He's on the honorable mentions list because once again, he's having wrist issues. He's now had surgery multiple times. The last surgery that he had after last season was to reduce the length of one of his wrist bones, meaning his forearm is shorter. Wow, that's going to be so helpful with hitting. The fact that he's already having wrist problems this early and may not make opening day is unbelievably concerning for a player who essentially, outside of hitting, his best skill is being left-handed. So essentially hitting. If he doesn't hit, he's nothing. Um, so Kirilov goes from being a, a significant member of the list uh, to jumping off, again, the DH portion onto the honorable mention side. Also, we did catcher the other day, and I had Austin Wells on there as a catcher. He has definitely improved leaps and bounds with regards to catching. However, being honest, he's got a significantly less chance of catching than even I would like to admit. More than likely, he's a first-base corner outfielder. And whereas Soderstrom, a very similar player, moving out of catcher himself, is on the list. Soderstrom's on the list because he's going to hit more. Um, Wells may not hit for average. And Wells may not run the bases. So if Wells can't play catcher, high probability he can't. He really needs to hit for power. So because of that... He went from on the list to on the honorable mentions list. Um, Also, from on the list, another guy who I mentioned, I'm pretty sure I mentioned him at some point in time. I think I might have mentioned him when we were doing the second base list. Ha Song Kim. Kim has gone from being a member of the regular list to on the honorable mentions list because I have to be honest, it is really, 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 hard for someone to come over from Japan and adjust to big league velocity enough to hit at the big league level. The only reason that Kim had above average numbers per WRC plus last year was because he got on base. It's the only time I don't trust WRC plus because walks only are valuable in getting on base for other people to hit, taking advantage of pitchers mistakes. You know, not every pitcher is going to give you mistakes to do that on, let alone, uh, to, you know, uh, to hit, but, uh, uh, my point is, is we, we could, we could go down all of these lanes of, of, of thinking. Um, basically Kim came off the list because he's not going to hit for power off of the velocity at the big league level and walking because walking only scores a run with the bases loaded and you have to get on base for other people to do well likely either capitalizing with power off of mistakes or capitalizing off of hitting pitchers pitches because of that i think the wrc plus for kim is false i think that it plays down not up because of how much is dependent on walks but because of the lack of velocity that he uh had faced in japan He's still going through a growth period with if he's going to hit in the States. He certainly did better than his first year and his second year, which is why he's not coming off the honorable mentions part of the list, especially as a gun-armed shortstop. But it is very, very hard for people coming over there to, from there to hit. 
He came over there at a very young age. So that's, again, another reason why he's not coming off the list. Not just that he's a good shortstop. Um, if he hits for power, if at his age he can fill out enough to hit for power at the big league level, he does not deserve to be on the honorable mentions list. But given how hard it is for people to come over and hit at all, he's not on the regular list. He's on the honorable mentions. Um, and lastly, one of the players that jumped onto the list replacing these guys wasn't an outfielder and joined our third base rankings, and that is Evan Longoria. Now, Evan Longoria has had a myriad of injuries over the last two years. However, his career, he's been consistently healthy. He is now playing for the Diamondbacks, which has afforded him the opportunity to just play with his teammates and other big leaguers all offseason out here in Arizona. It's a little bit different than San Francisco in that type of way. Um, I think he's going to have lineup protection in the type of ways that he didn't have most years in San Francisco. He's a guy who shows up in big moments. He's going to hit lefties. He's going to walk. Um, the things that kept him on the edge of the list, the injuries that have been a thing the last two years, even if it's not a thing throughout his career, and he has been in decline for a good six years. That being said, despite the decline, he still finds a way to walk a lot and hit for uh, well above 400 slugging, 420, 440 slugging. So even if he keeps declining, so long as he's still being able to do those two things while being a decent third base defender and show up in big games and really mash lefties at least, he deserves to be on the list even if he's not going to be a guarantee for health or anything close to a middle-of-the-order hitter in normal situations, at least. Um, all of the other things are good enough for him to still make the list, even through decline. And I don't like decline, but decline is not the same thing as a fall-off. Decline can be slow. So that that's the changes with the list. That's the DH part of the list. That's the shortstop part of the list. Next time we're coming at you, it's going to be the outfield part of the list, which is the biggest category. It's technically three positions all combined, left field, right field, center field. So be ready for that. Uh, again, please check out our, our, our content on other things such as Marvel. We are going to be having a lot of content coming at you, covering a lot of other things. I mean, Chris... You are the video game dude. Your TikToks are awesome. So I would love to do Thank some you. playthroughs. <laughs> I would love to do some rankings where you can tell me about different types of video games. I know that I love exploring. I'm a video. I'm a, that's my type of video game. We're going we're to do it, man. We're going to yeah. do it. So we're going to jump in. We're going to do a bunch of content on that. So definitely look out for that. And we'll see you on the next one. We'll see you on the next one. Let's go. Let's go.